This is the Behind the Sports Story Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Boboff. Welcome back to the Behind the Sports Story podcast. This is season three of the project, which is incredibly exciting. Thank you to everyone who's listened to the past two seasons of the project. And also a special thank you, of course, to all of the great guests. If you haven't listened yet, take time to look back at some of the past episodes. There are some great gems in there. People from all over the sports world. So it's, it's really interesting. Before we get into this first episode of season three, I do want to introduce myself or reintroduce myself. I'm Dave Bobuff. I'm a sports PR professional. I work with athletes, teams, sports tech brands, and sports VCs to help them tell a story about why and how they're impacting and changing the sports world. All right, let's get into this conversation. Rishi Chada leads global gaming partnerships at Twitter, where he brings content from global gaming leagues, esports franchises, publishers, and developers to fans in real time. Since joining Twitter, Rishi has launched brand new content partnerships with developers like Activision Blizzard and Riot Games world-renowned gaming events like the Game Awards, and some of the world's most popular esports organizations, including FaZe Clan and 100 Thieves. Let's go. All right, I'm here today with Rishi Chada. Thank you so much for joining me. Of course, thanks for having me. So when you become head of, that means you've been doing something for, for a minute. Tell me a little bit about about your process to uh, where you are right now. Yeah, sure. Um, I've been in the gaming and esports and, and digital media landscape or industry for almost 13 years now. Um, I first got exposed to it. So when I went to school originally, I went to college, originally wanted to be a doctor. About two years in, I realized very quickly that I was getting my ass kicked by OCHEM and physics and I was not going to be a doctor. And so uh, I switched majors to econ. I, I found business and economics was interesting to me. So I figured let's dive into that. Graduated right in the heart of the, the greater recession. And so I wasn't really sure. There wasn't really a lot of jobs out there. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next. Uh, a buddy of mine from college was actually like, hey, look, you know, my company's hiring. Uh, we're looking for someone to do biz dev and marketing if you're interested. And so I said, yeah, sure. Uh, and that was a company for that made eyewear for computer use. And so one of our target demographics was actually people who played video games. And so that's actually how I got introduced to the whole world of professional gaming and esports, to people making YouTube videos that they were uploading onto, uh, uploading to YouTube to make money off of. And, and I was like, wow, this is very, something very new. And, um, pretty crazy, but I think there might be something here. Uh, if this many people are actually paying attention, uh, it's only going to keep getting bigger. So uh, I was there at that company for a couple of years. And then after that, I moved to LA and uh, went to work at a company called Machinima. And Machinima was at the time like the platform for all um, gaming content on YouTube. It was the first, you know, gaming, the first and largest gaming YouTube multi-channel network. Uh, was there, helped them build their platform and helped them build their network uh, and worked on, not only on gaming, but also on entertainment content and lifestyle content too. Uh, from there, I moved over to Major League Gaming and helped them launch their live platform, which was competing with Twitch. And then uh, after we got acquired by Activision Blizzard, I moved over to the mobile game space to a company called Mobcrush. And then from there, uh, I ended up at Twitter. And so now I've been at Twitter for almost five years. Uh, Feels like yesterday still, but uh, it's been a really great ride. As you were going through that process and working with all these companies in gaming, 
it was basically during the time when this industry was blowing up. How are you on the various teams you were, you were on measuring the way audiences were adapting and adopting these new platforms? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple ways. So one is just your general metrics of viewership. So how many people are actually watching this content? Where are they watching the content? So like looking at it from a geographic location, but also looking at um, the viewership metrics there. Then separately, I think it's about, you know, how are you actually looking at the profit margins around these things? Especially when I was at Machinima, it was like, how is monetization improving? Are more advertisers investing in this content? Or is it about the same? And so I think that, you know, back then, it's pretty crazy thinking about even back then, if you actually looked at like the way people were monetizing their content, they really only could monetize on PC. Like most, most of the views from desktop were the ones driving monetization for like the first part of my time at Machinima. We were still waiting on people to be able to run ads on mobile. And now, you know, you can't miss an ad anywhere you go. Right. But it's like watching that move of being able to see how advertisers are investing, but also where ads are being served was a big part of it. Uh, And then I think we just started to see, in a more recent times, I think seeing how much of the conversation that happens on Twitter and when you actually start to see uh, traditional celebrities and athletes talking about, you know, being, you know, talking about games or playing video games together. I mean, even going back to like 2018 um, when Ninja and Drake streamed Fortnite together and just having Drake tweet streaming with Ninja playing Fortnite, like that was a big moment. And so I think these types of things happening, and then now you start to see even more of those things happening uh, with like even Steph Curry talking about investments in TSM or all of these things, you start to see it's becoming more and more mainstream adopted. And I think, so it's a mix of views and how views viewership has grown, how monetization has improved. And then lastly, I think just the general acceptance that you see on a platform like Twitter, which is really home for all conversation around games. So in determining content that you see valuable <clears throat> Do you see it as a transformation of the focus is no longer where people are getting their content, but rather creating a place for people to decide what content they actually want and access that content directly? So I I do think that in general, we're starting to see that most people um, are on every platform, like they're doing stuff on different platforms. So uh, I think as a, you know, a publisher of content, everyone needs to have a strategy of they can't just be on one platform. They have to be putting their content on multiple platforms. It's really important. And I think that because of that, you just, your audiences are everywhere. And so you need to tap into them everywhere and you can bring content everywhere, which is important. And so going back to your original question, um, I, I think it is about just being very thoughtful about where your content's being distributed and making sure it's everywhere and not just putting it in one place. So as someone who works at one of the, the platforms that's pushing the industry forward, What's your take on where the traditional platforms and media still plays in the experience of, let's say, gamers or, or just let's go back to the traditional sports fans where, you know, as, as a PR person myself, it, my job got harder because they're, it's not necessarily going to a paper or an outlet to tell a story. Stories are being told on Twitter. Um, mm. where, where is that bridge if there is a bridge or is there just total, a total takeoff into something else? Yeah, I, I still think that traditional sports is embracing platforms like Twitter more than ever. And so they're taking and I, I find that in general, 
I've seen the gaming audience has just really gravitated towards Twitter since I've been on the platform since 2009. And <clears throat> I just remember like, everybody's been on it. Like that's been a place for it. And I think we see the same thing with traditional sports where it's like Twitter is the home for conversation. It's the sports bar. It's the place where, you know, all, you know, people are using it much as a second screen experience. So it plays a very powerful and important role for traditional sports uh, and traditional publishers in that a big event's happening, the Super Bowl, the Oscars, people are actually on Twitter talking while watching. So that same like methodology is something that I think everybody's starting to realize and is leaning into even more. Uh, and I think that it's been happening in the gaming space for a long time too. Let's move more into the gaming space and how you determine sure. partnerships. So, um, you know, I, I've worked a little bit in gaming and one of the things is bridging the, the cultural gap between what was the gaming community 10 years ago on Xbox Live, like, you know, the memes I'm talking about. Yep. And now it becoming a corporate space where big names are investing in it and putting their name next to individual gamers or gaming technology or games. And how do you determine in your role and, and how do you see the, the, the space as a whole adapting to that? And what, what needs to change in the old community? And also what, what do newer audiences need to learn about the game community? <laughs> The older generation, I think it's really good to see that we're seeing this professionalism coming in now. It's important because it allows for us to grow the industry. It makes brands feel more comfortable about investing in the industry. Like these things need to happen. Otherwise, we'll just be in the same position, not growing at all. And it's not going to move forward. And I don't think anybody wants that. So it's really important for that to happen. And I think it's I think everybody's recognizing that. For newer folks getting into the space and those that are non-endemic to this space, I think what's really important is they need to really take time to, to focus on understanding how things have been, understanding the history, having an appreciation for the history, recognizing that we got this far doing what we've done and that you know there's definitely an opportunity for us to learn from one another, but to respect and understand that things are have been done a certain way and you got to appreciate that too. So working together and I think everybody can just learn from one another, right? But also be respectful of where everybody's coming from and recognizing that there's an importance of, you know, this audience is very fickle and can be very particular about stuff. And so you don't want to just scorn them because you need to do something to make a quick buck. You, if you want to be committed to this and invest in it, then recognize that too. And so what are some of the gaming initiatives that separate from things you've worked on that you saw as really pushing this industry forward? I, I think some of the big stuff that we've seen recently with um, a lot of these luxury brands investing into the space in different ways, like Louis Vuitton partnering with Riot Games for League of Legends Worlds to build the cases for that. Like that's something they usually do for trophy cases for traditional sports to bring it over there. Massive move. Uh, you've seen Mercedes get invested, in, you know, doing a lot with esports and investing in esports in different regions. Uh, then I think on the we're now starting to see the popularity of merchandise from like gaming brands like or esports brands and organizations like 100 thieves or phase clan like that clothing used to you know the idea of esports clothing in the past was not something that was really cool and now it's like the hottest thing right like i've gone to i've like it's weird now to beat for me to like literally go <laughs> this is a funny story is like i went to go play golf with some friends last weekend and like the guy at the at the front was talking to my buddy and he saw like I, he was talking to him and like, oh, you know, it's going to be a little bit longer for you to come up uh, and, and get tea time. And then I, he saw me wearing a hundred thieves shirt and he's like, oh, you like a hundred thieves. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, oh, well, never mind. We'll get you in. 
like how we've got to that point now. And it's pretty awesome to just even think about those things. And so I, I think like just seeing that mainstream push because of these types of opportunities and because of these brands is really exciting to see. And then I, I think something that's just been really interesting to see, and I think we're still like right in the middle of it is what's happening with franchising and the idea of franchising in esports has been really fascinating and that you've got different ways of doing it. You've got the riot model, you've got the Activision Blizzard model. And so just watching all that stuff unfold it and knowing who's investing into these ecosystems is really exciting too. What's your take on the role of physical venues? Is gaming going to stay majority digital or as we are seeing these tournaments and, and leagues moving into these major venues for a few one-off examples. Do you see that being becoming more mainstream or is it going to remain a more digital medium? So yeah, it's always always been a digital medium, started from a digital medium. But I will say that there, there is a magic that you can't capture in digital that happens in in-person events. And I mean, it's been happening like for years now, uh, you know, even from my first MLG event in 2010 to, you know, going to the first counter North American Counter-Strike major in Columbus, Ohio, to, you know, even being in ESL Cologne in Germany. It's like you have these full sold out crowds and people are cheering. I think it all kind of derailed because of the pandemic, but I'm really excited to see it come back. I mean, even if you look at this weekend, the Call of Duty Leagues during their big major event in Minnesota, and they've got lines all up and down the ballrooms waiting for people to come in right now. So like there's definitely a a need and a desire for people to be back in person and to want to participate in in-person events uh, that you really can't get um, in a digital format. So I think it's here to stay. I think it's coming back uh, now that we're starting to return to some moment. We're getting closer toward, closer and closer towards finding some sort of resolution with the pandemic. You know, it's exciting to see that happen and um, the return of events to come back. I wanted to get your opinion on business models for games because... Sure. Elden rings out. People are talking about how it's uh, it's nice to have a complete game and have access to a complete game. Um, we've had many years of DLC, pay for play. I mean, I remember my friends and I were playing, you know, Battlefield Three, and and half of us couldn't play because one half didn't want to get the new DLC. Then we're going to the free to play, but then you add on all these micro purchases. How do you feel about that? Like, what what do you think is better for the gamer, and and where do you see? the industry going as a whole to make everybody happy, the publishers and the players? I don't think there is a one size fits all approach. And I think that's what we've seen. Free to play has really disrupted the traditional model. And now we're seeing games as a service continue to grow and thrive. I think what we're seeing now is um, the rise of subscription services. So Xbox Game Pass, now we're seeing Sony's just announced theirs. I think that, you know, what we're going to have is a few different models and there's not one that's the best model. I think it's just going to be dependent on what the consumer wants. And I think that now more than ever, uh, game developers and publishers are all thinking that way now of like, we have to do what the consumer wants because they can put hundreds of million dollars, millions of dollars into a game. And then a game that's made by an indie developer can blow up overnight. And so it's like, there's so many different ways because of it that I think there's, um, there's really just, it's not a one size fits all approach, but there's so many different ways that it's being disrupted now. Absolutely. And it's interesting too, because it's like you have to, it's dependent on the consumer, but also to make games popular, you have to have a lot of people wanting to play that game. And 
be willing to play in whatever format that that game actually is. And in terms of how you see the gaming industry going forward and how you, your role at Twitter, when you decide what partnerships are make sense and reflect the brand, but also what people, what creators that you want to elevate, what, what are your markers for that? We're using a few different things. So one is we look at the conversation around games and we look at, and so based off of that, we're able to say like, oh, these are the, this game is in the top 10. We should be figuring out ways to partner with them. Or we look at the teams that are in the top 10 to 25 in the world. And we say, oh, these are the teams that people are talking about the most, making sure we find opportunities to work with them too. I think then separately, you know, we're also thinking about one of the big things that was, that's really important is just how are we looking at when it comes to the broader creator landscape or gaming creator landscape, you know, one of the things there's a systemic problem in the sense that if you're not part of an organization, you have a really hard time of breaking through. And a lot of people of color or from underrepresented backgrounds aren't necessarily getting those opportunities. So finding chances of like tapping into people who are like, Hey, you make good content. Let's find ways to get you a, to be able to build a business on the platform or have access to tools that you may not have had before. What are the things we can do to make sure that you have a better experience on the platform? So uh, it's a mix of both, you know, looking at what are the trends, the conversations that are happening, and also looking at what are the what are people that are doing really awesome things that we can just give a leg up to give them an opportunity to get bigger and better on the platform too. You have some examples of some creators that you were really happy with that that um, maybe what would not have been found if not for efforts to to find them. Uh, I. I <laughs> I hate, I hate, I'm never going to take credit for anything and say it's thanks to us. They got big. That's just not how I like to look at it. But I think that people who are doing really amazing things across the board are, you know, a variety of folks that come from various backgrounds. But like, I love what uh, Khalif Adams doing with Spawn on Me. I love what Erin Simon's doing too, with all of the work she's building around Xset and just the brand she's building for herself. Um, you know, you've got individuals that are, you know, a little bit more on the, spicier take or coming from like the counter-strike background of esports like launders who i really like who is just becoming more of a content creator and i think we're going to continue to see more people who are just focused and invested in building their own content that i, I just love seeing that and i want to see that continue to grow uh and then separately you know i i think we're just i think we're going to see other folks like if you look at someone like swag on phase clan like his growth trajectory has gone through the roof uh and you know it's just been great to see when I, someone is invested into an organization or an organization invested into them, I'm sorry, and they're able to grow and become a brand of themselves and then bring their friends along with them for the ride and build like a whole thing together with them. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, and I think your point about not taking credit is like really interesting in, in this type of context, because the whole point is that it's just about giving access to the people who have the talent and are able to, um, you know, don't have the avenues to show what they can do. And then once they have that, they take it themselves and I think it's important to to just be that conduit for for those creators. So that, that's really awesome. Exactly. Yeah. I I never. I, I think I I'm not the one making the videos. I'm not the one crafting the tweets. Like that's all them. That's yeah. just making sure that people have a lane for it and getting able to tap into the tools that we have available. Like that's all we can ask for. So as someone who works in partnerships and gaming, like like this must be really awesome. How do you think about both? enjoying yourself but also you know this is a job to do most day most days I'm, I'm having fun and i'm really grateful for that a few days feel like work i'll tell you that and it's usually it's usually when you have to do the corporate stuff like file expense reports or something like that but i mean it's for the most part really grateful and i thank my stars every day i mean it's it's insane to be able to do what i do and 
you know, even having my parents finally understand what I do, it's like been my whole career. They were like, oh my God, you're not going to be a doctor. Okay. Well, what are you doing? Okay. What is this video game thing? Okay. And now they're like, oh, you work at Twitter. Okay. We understand that. Uh, so it's, it's been a natural progression of growth and I'm really grateful for that. And I mean, every day is a blessing and I've, I've enjoyed it in, you know, video games in general, as much as I talk about them and work on them every day or work adjacent to them every day. Like I don't get as much time to play them, but it, they have given me so much and I'm so grateful for that. Absolutely. And, and when you think of, let's say someone who's younger, who's going into college or high school and thinking about gaming in a serious way, because I think, I don't think a general, you know, our generation was not in a place where you could say gaming is going to be a career. Like that was not an option. And that was a dream that, you know, I think parents would be like, you're not going to make money off this. You should probably go study. Uh, But now younger people have that as an actual option and be part of the business behind gaming. What are the different avenues that you think outside of what you're doing are so exciting for young people to think about in the gaming space? Yeah, I I think what's what's really cool is you can now take traditional jobs, being an accountant, working in HR, working, you know, as a, a professional chef or working in, you know, physical therapy. And you can actually apply all of those things to the gaming space. You can work at any of these companies or esports organizations and you can take those jobs and apply them there. So you can actually marry your day-to-day job with something you're super passionate about and actually do something with that. And I think that's so incredible right now because a lot of people don't think about those things. They think, oh, I have to go and do X, Y, Z and get my education. And then I have to go work for some, you know, Fortune 500 company where it's like, well, actually, no, you could work here and you can do this and be in gaming and you can actually be adjacent to it in different ways. So now more than ever, there's that the industry has grown so much that we need all of these other positions that people don't think about uh, and are really, really uh, necessary for things to move forward and progress. So that's what's really exciting, too. And I think that that's one of the things I really encourage everyone is just to think about coming out of college. There's so many different opportunities in here. It's not just about the idea of playing a game or designing a game. There's so much more you can be doing in this space. And I urge everyone to think about that even more because uh, of all the opportunity that's there right now. We're really in this unique time where I think there's a young generation of kids that we're in a bit of a a deficit when it comes to talent. And I think in about three more years, we're going to have a bit of a surplus of talent in the games and esports industries because... A lot of kids are in college right now and now being exposed to esports classes or having classes about games. And they're able to see like, oh, I can do this. I can be a part of this. And so when they come out, they're gonna, we're going to have this giant workforce of really smart kids who love video games and now want to apply for these jobs and are going to have some experience because of the stuff they've learned. And it's also interesting, too, because I feel like it's one of those industries where it's not necessarily always going to be an age-based hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Just because of the way that the ages that have access and are, are now native to using technology, playing certain types of games, that executives that are older than them are like, I don't need, this is new to me, but you've actually been doing this a lot more um, frequently. Like, what is that? How do you think about that when you're, when you're team building, when you're managing a team, valuing people across your roster? Yeah, it's, it's so fascinating because I definitely feel like a lot of times I feel like one of the younger people in the room, I mean, buddy of mine who used to be the head of gaming at YouTube, Brian Wyatt, you know, him and I have come up in our careers together and like he's one of the youngest executives at YouTube and just, you know, he, but it was his knowledge, his experience, all of the things he's done in the space that I have seen that we've seen and that allowed him to become so successful in his career at YouTube. And so I love when companies are able to say like, yeah, we want the people with the most knowledge and the best you know, experience and who can really do something to provide the highest impact. 
and are not looking at um, the age. And I do the same thing the way I look at it too. It's like when I'm building my team, I'm looking for people who have the experience, the knowledge. I don't really care about their age. In fact, if they're younger, I get excited because it means that there's an opportunity to grow with them and do some really cool stuff and for me to learn from them too. I think that's the other important part too is like, I may feel sometimes when I go to these events, I'm like seeing everyone, I'm like, oh, geez, I feel like a bit of the old guy there. But there's, I always have to remind myself there's still so much you can learn from a lot of the younger folks too um, that are doing so much in this space and disrupting the space. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So now is five quick lightning round questions, fun stuff. Okay. Just to get you to know you a little bit better. So what's yeah. your favorite game? Favorite game would be the uh, original Metal Gear Solid. All right. All right. Favorite console? Uh, right now, it would probably be Xbox. Xbox person too. I like that. Um, what was a habit you picked up after COVID started? Reading again. What was the best book? Okay. So my wife and my wife's a huge Harry Potter fan. I, by by proxy, I'm a big Harry Potter fan. So we're rewatching, we're rereading the Harry Potter series right now. But one of my favorite books that I start I picked up during um, when I started reading again was called the Hail, Hail Mary Project. Uh, author is the same guy who did um, he did The Martian with Matt Damon and the film with Matt Damon and all that. Great book, really enjoyed it. Awesome. And what's your favorite sports story right now? I would probably, I, I would say I've been really, as a, as a, um, as a Raiders fan, I've just been really happy with the narrative of what's been going on this off season and how we've are starting to set things up to have a really exciting, um, season next year. Thank you to Rishi Chada for joining me on this first episode of season three of the behind the sports story podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at r.chada. And this is where I usually say you can follow their company at X, Y, and Z, but you know where Twitter's at, but you can follow at Twitter gaming for more specific Twitter gaming news. Be sure to follow the behind the sports story podcast at sports story pod on Twitter and also behind the sports story on Instagram. Followers will have some access to exclusive content throughout the season. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.